Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, and today we are going to dig into another one of Warlord Games' fantastic game systems. Now, this is a game that we've talked about on this show several times in the past, and I am really excited to, to bring it back, so to speak, and to talk about Blood Red Skies. Because there have been some really exciting expansions slash releases for the game in recent weeks and months. And it's it's a great game, and I think it deserves more airtime. Plus, we've had some requests. So as you request the games for this, we like to cover them. Now, joining me today, if we're going to be talking about Blood Red Skies, and we're not talking to the author, who is, of course, Andy. Andy's not with us today. What we have are two big members of the Blood Red Skies community, particularly in the United States, but who have been running events. They are both from the Lead Pursuit podcast. Our first guest, of course, is Doug. I believe we've spoken to him in the past. It is always a pleasure to have him on. Doug, welcome back. Thanks. Really appreciate being on the official Warlord podcast. Hey, that's how we do here. Nothing unofficial here. And if we're speaking officially, uh, a man who I literally speak to every day, my friend from the great state of Texas, Casey, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast, my friend. Hey, good evening, gentlemen. I'm very happy to be here. Guys, the Lead Pursuit podcast has been working to run events across the United States for quite a while. Now, with a lot of games, we will see events that are run a little bit more competitively or a little bit more casually. What I like about the Blood Red Skies community, and you guys can definitely speak more to this than I can, is that it works both ways. Doug, can you talk to us a little bit about the Blood Red Skies community, where we're at at the moment? Because given a world where COVID lockdowns are largely a thing of the past and game systems and game communities are finding their sea legs, so to speak, again, what does the Blood Red Skies community look like now? So it's really a fascinating reflection of the rest of the war game community and, as I'll call them, our imports from other game systems. So we have a lot of super historical players out there that really don't necessarily like the competitive scene. They don't need the competitive scene. They're happy to play a, a really cool narrative game with beautifully painted miniatures, great scenario, super complex. And then there is a large percentage that have come over from other game systems that have an interest in historical things, but they're really there for the competition. And they're there for the, in a sense, force on force, not historical at all, hurricanes versus F4U Corsairs, but knockdown, drag out competitive play. And so it right. makes for a cool thing at events because you can always find things to please part of the community, but it also means you're kind of doing twice as many events as Casey has found out in some of his <laughs> things he's hosted. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you know, that's really what is so great about the game. And is you know, Doug and I were just talking about the other night. I can play in my garage with some friends, play at, you know, the local game store. No problem. You know, it's a great weeknight game. Couple hours. We knock it out. Great looking planes, historical battles on the table. But then we can go to a convention and have a great tournament. You know, the rules are tight enough. There's not a lot of questions. Everybody has fun. And it's still not to the point where it's cutthroat, where we're not getting tables thrown or anything like that. So it's really nice for it to be, you know, flexible. So whatever type of player you're, you are, the game is there for you. And 
so you know we're kind of going back to this we've been in conventions i guess the last two times where i've ran a narrative event and you know when you sign up for a convention you put like what's the experience needed and i put some experience needed just because you know i'm lazy and i don't want to explain the game all the time but both times at least over 75 percent of the players have never played the game and it didn't matter within 25 minutes after let's say the second turn they knew the game i could just sit back and relax so yeah. you know that really is the beauty of the system and especially for anyone a fan of world war ii or just aerial warfare it's perfect warlord is famous for making games that are easy to pick up but have the depth so they're hard to master i mean we see that with bolt action we've seen that with a lot of the naval games but Blood Red Skies in particular is really easy to pick up, but it really has a lot of depth to dig into. It's like the epitome of the Warlord game philosophy of game design. It's, it's one of those things that people can walk in, start playing it, and then they can still be playing it years later and still haven't found all the int intricacies of it yet. You guys have been playing this for quite a while. Are you still finding that? Oh, yeah. And Casey and I were laughing about that even today as the lead pursuit team was trying to get their lists ready for our next event coming up for Crucible in Orlando. And people are still going back and, and looking at certain card combos and certain aircraft combos and pilot skill levels. And so there's there's still a, a belief that we haven't figured everything out, that the meta is still changing, that there's still in at least the competitive world, there are ways to kind of chart your own course. But what I will say is that some of that really has also been a, a, a factor of the community evolving in its skill. As we've seen, people were showing up and they were playing the game the way the game was demoed to them. And they hadn't necessarily internalized some of the, the tactics, some of the deeper card combos. And now you don't see that at the, at the tournaments. You see people flying very tactically it's not like they just line up their airplanes and run at each other like they did two years ago so there's the there's been an evolution there and i think that's what's going to be interesting to watch over the next six months to a year kind of to go on to what doug said too for those of us that aren't a uh, combat fighter pilot like myself who know aerial tactics and just like to throw the dice and hey you know play the rule of cool there's still a place though for all the players where it's like you know what i like these planes i have a basic knowledge of what these cards do it's still competitive it hasn't turned into x-wing which was this amazing game at the very first and then it was all cookie cutter list you know not every single list we see is f4u corsair with the aggressive tactic you're still viable in any event with any type of really you can take a historical list if you want you know you might want to put a little edge in there but there's still you know you can still get in these events and play without having to take this cutthroat list and research it for six hours and listen to nine podcasts about like what's the best list to take now you guys have said we did talk a little bit off air but you have said that blood red sky events are great because you can include players of a more casual nature and a more competitive nature but you also run events specifically for one or the other um you also run a lot of demo games can you talk to us a little bit about the as you referred to a minute ago the tournament or the event scene because i know it goes beyond tournaments there's also demoing there's also narrative days what does the the sort of the the layout of schedules in the u.s look like at the moment because it has a really rich scene you guys have been running a lot of events and there are other people running events as well yeah, Casey has run some, and I'll let him talk about uh, the tweaks they made at, at Twisted Lords and a couple other conventions. We have tried to do kind of demos on Friday, a few demos on Saturday, really lead into the tournament to get people warmed up that if they said, hey, I hear there's a tournament, but I've never played, we're like, 
hold my beer. I can teach you in 10 minutes. <laughs> exactly. And then we can go, we can go paint some airplanes. Or you can borrow some and you'll be ready for the tournament. Uh, but, but we, we try to do that. So we try to give plenty of warm up going in there. And then generally we'll do a Saturday tournament. And Sunday is a lot of the narrative games. And that's because people are getting ready to leave. People, you know, don't want to continue playing a long tournament scene. So we'll bring out some cool terrain, some big ships, do, do some, uh, some stuff like that. But, Casey kind of flipped that at Twisted Lords. So Casey, you you turned the schedule 180 out on us. Yeah, I just went with just the straight narrative game right off the bat. It uh just you know just kind of try it and really get people interested because you had a lot of people coming in who had not played it. And then I think it's just a less competitive scene, and just to mm -hmm. get them to play and get them familiar with it. And it's funny. And then going back a year to Millennium Con is that was um the second week in november and that's right when the midway we i think we were the first ones to have the midway starter set there and so i set up a whole midway narrative event but in a tournament style and we were four turns into the game uh, i think it was 10 players eight of them seven of them had never played before and we had to pause so they could all run down and go see john russell and buy the game so <laughs> i think if anything that's a testament to like hey this is just a fun game like hey get the guys together and let's play and you know you know it in 25 minutes and it's the yeah. whole the whole adage of, you know, easy to learn, hard to master, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's also talk about the Midway starter because you've just mentioned that. Now, in the past, there was a European box that was the starter set that a lot of people were familiar with when Blood Red Skies first launched. And it has since um, evolved into the Midway starter. And so it is, of course, Americans versus Japanese for that. But Warlord has made the game more accessible if you are not interested in that by putting out the ops deck. So you have the Blood Red Skies uh, Airstrike expansion, which has a lot of additional rules and really expands out the game. And then if you get the ops deck, it's almost as though then you can go out and buy the army or the, the force of your choice, right? Absolutely. And that's, I think, how we've started recommending to people that if if the boxed set isn't your thing, if Midway isn't you know what you want to go play, if you wanted to do something European, and now because the Battle of Britain starter is out of print, don't worry, go buy a copy of Airstrike, which is the full rules. It's it's everything even you know beyond what Midway has, and it has all the standard uh, introductory stuff, has a lot more scenarios. It is by default the Blood Red Skies rulebook in that sense. And you get the ops deck. So now you get all of the theater and doctrine cards that are out for the game. So you really have everything you need to build your list except your airplanes. And and now you can pick and choose. And now you can say, hey, you know what? I want to buy Falk Wolf 190s and P51s. And so there's a starter set that doesn't exist, uh, but it allows you to, to pick up those things that you want and your friends want. And yeah. I think going forward, we will see that pairing will take precedence over follow on production of the midway starter set simply because it's so much more accessible to everybody, whatever their, their desired air army is, whether they want to play something European theater, want to play Russians, want to play, you know, Germans, want to, it's you, you can pick and choose and you don't feel like you're missing anything. Cause previously people felt if you didn't get the boxed set, you didn't have all of the theater cards that would, tell you what the weather was that would tell you what right. you know what what your army's uh, strategic implications were and you didn't have the doctrine cards that were all the cool tactical cheats as i'll call them you know things that would allow mm -hmm. your your aircraft to perform just differently but now you go out you buy the ops deck and you have uh, every single one of them you'd want plus a bunch of new ones which is kind of interesting for 
those of us old hands that thought we knew how our armies would mm -hmm. perform, uh, it's worth going out and picking up the, the ops deck because there's some new doctrines in there and there's some new theater cards that that change the game. Uh, what I will say is there's there's always a continuous evolution of all these games and what people want. And for the last almost year, we've been in a very Pacific theater heavy release schedule for for yeah. blood red skies so i think i think a lot of people have have stepped back and said well i don't i don't do pacific things how do i start the game and we just haven't necessarily connected with them that you go buy a copy of airstrike buy the new card deck and then whatever floats your boat man yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, i'm right? really curious too with warlord especially with bolt action following along with it with the um because you know we had island assault the big mm -hmm. starters at the new one and then we had midway so now we have what is it a gentleman's war that's is that right. the new Africa's uh, starter That's set? Right. So I'm curious if we're seeing yeah. that. We're seeing a ton of Italian releases. And I know a lot mm -hmm. of the fans, too, are like, hey, where's my Italian planes? So I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see something. I don't know about a whole new starter set, but we def hopefully we'll see a bunch of releases for North Africa, which would be really cool. That'd be cool. And it would tie to Combined Arms, which, of course, was the game that allows you to link Bolt Action, Blood Red Skies, Cruel Seas. And victory at sea. Yeah. So you got to see a lot of games combining. Uh, and one of the theater mats, of course, for that was the desert. So I know a lot of people would be interested in doing that. Now, when I had Andy on, he talked about the process of taking some of the old uh, Blood Red Skies medals and putting those into resin. Now, I am curious, how has that process progressed? Because the last time we talked about that on the show... It was a process. It had begun, but it was far from over. How has the rollout of resins gone? Because from what I've heard from friends, one of them being Casey, uh, spoilers, um, the new resins are excellent. They are. And as since Lead Pursuit also has a retail hat on it and markets a lot of Warlord stuff, uh, they are they're really good releases. They have been very Pacific heavy, which is kind of funny because there's still some people out there waiting in the wings. They're like, hey, what about my, and I say, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but they've been very Pacific heavy on things that we needed re-released. So F4U yeah. Corsairs, a lot of the later Japanese fighters. <laughs> um, well, let's also talk about the aces because that has always been one of the exciting parts of the game where you get to talk about special characters and special pilots. Um, that really do give character to your force and the pilots in your planes. And with I mean, Warlord has really gone out of their way to make sure that we have those aces and they keep coming for this game. Warlord has put out a variety of aces for every aircraft and Andy and his team have done a very good job spread loading the skills and making the skills historical and and that it fits generally the the actions of that ace mm -hmm. but still being balanced inside the game so there's not one or two aces that unlike some other games that were th that was the go-to ace you had to fly that guy if you didn't fly right. that guy you were going to lose in a tournament mm -hmm. setting uh but but i i am happy that i haven't seen anyone in the u.s tournament scene using named aces um in a sense because even though they're cool cards I i've always been afraid of this this creep towards you know, yeah. having to have specific pilots and and specific uh, people that you that you need to have in your list, um, but they're they're really cool for narrative games. And I know uh, Casey and I have used that a couple times. We've thrown aces out there, and I think 
Andy has done a great job trying to continually add aces to the game. So what I will say, more spoilers about Jets, there's more aces coming out uh, for the Jets. So we've previously had some converted propeller guys from World War II that had flown uh, both in World War II and Korea, and we were able to use their cards. But now there's a series of dedicated uh, Sabre aces for F-86s, and more importantly for the uh, Russian, North Korean, and Chinese players, there are dedicated Northern Forces aces for the MiG-15, and they're not just all Russian. So it's it's really? pretty cool, pretty cool and historical. On the hobby side, it's kind of cool, too, for someone like myself who's really into the hobby part of it, too, is the decals they put in there with it. It's not just the generic decals. The majority of the aces I've seen have the specific decals to their plane, which is nice. So they have, you know, all the livery, the decals, whatever, that are just exactly how their plane was. So that's actually a nice touch, which is appreciated. Yeah, it really allows you to individualize your force and add that character on the tabletop, right? Oh, yeah, it really helps with the immersion. Now, I didn't want to go past talking about how to build a community because you guys have really gone out of your way to, as you say, run the demos, have go to big events, big conventions, and to run Blood Red Sky events there um, that A, draw players to it, also find new players who might be interested in the game and really does help build a community. Can you guys talk a little bit about for Blood Red Skies or for other games in particular, what is a good way to reach out to possible community members slash community members that may be spread out because of geographic reasons, but you know, because of social media, we're starting to come together a little bit across the world for smaller games in particular or medium-sized games to build these communities and these hubs of knowledge and hobby sharing how do you bring all of that together to actually then get people in one place to play games? Well, and I'll let Casey throw out a couple of the lessons that we've learned uh, here in a bit. But I think the the two most important things I've learned about building community uh, first is painful honesty. Uh, and there's going to be times that you can't you can't make every event and you can't make right. the event people really want you to go to uh, because you have a life <laughs> and you have a family and 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 things like that. And so in a sense, managing expectations and saying we're building a community here where we're not necessarily we, we can't do everything for everyone. And there's right. times that that we've looked at at people in various geographical locations and said, you know, we love all of y'all, but you need to stand on your own two feet on this one. Yeah. We'll, we'll send you prize support. We'll inter- intercede with Warlord to get you as much support as you can get. Uh, but we just can't make that event. So tell us what you need and, yeah. and we'll get behind you a hundred percent. So, so that, that has helped a lot. And I think the other part of it is uh, knowing how to tread the fine line between being a, a overt fanboy of the product and mm-hmm. getting people to try something outside their comfort level. And, and there's people that, that really game in their comfort zone and they'll say things like, well, why would I ever want to try multi-engine fighters? I don't think they play very well in the game or why would I ever want to try, you know, whatever. And, and getting people to do that hosting events where I say, guess what? Everyone's flying multi-engine fighters. And all of a sudden people are Mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, those are really cool. I kind of like the mosquito. Uh, So there's a, a little bit of, of just pushing people outside their comfort zone because if you've played those things as an event host, as a demo game person, and you've played through the depth of the game and you realize that, that we need to, that 
people kind of get in their their comfortable playing the same scenario with the same forces mm-hmm. against my same friends and we'll have the same result you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so kind of getting us getting people out of that uh, out of that rut so you know basically a lot to echo what doug said but then especially to you know take the time paint your planes up if you don't yeah. know like i mean we all grew up watching the world war ii movies the shows mm-hmm. And just, you know, Google quick airplane search. There's all these tutorials out there. I've already mentioned it. The Ready Room on Facebook is a fantastic resource. You know, people ask every day, oh, hey, how do I paint this? And you get like 60 images, just people, hey, use this color Mm -hmm. if you're using whatever paints. You know, get them out there. Get, you know, get a nice mat. Get the planes out there well painted. And people will come see it because, I mean. The majority of us, it's, oh, cool, that's a World War II plane. Well, what game is this? Hey, do you got 25 minutes, 30 minutes? Let me get you in one or two turns. And, I mean, yeah. that's the hook right there. And that's all you yeah. got to do. And, you know, you can then, you know, some guys like bombers, you know, I've done, like, you know, maybe throw a bomber in there. This guy just wants to sit there and push a bomber. You know what? That's mm-hmm. fine. So at least, though, you know, make the effort, take your planes, put some pride into them, get them painted up. And there's so many resources out there for the community between the Ready Room, um, especially not just the U.S., but worldwide. People can email us. They can message us. You know, we're always happy to help, too, and show them what we have done to help build up this community for, you know, to get players out there. And I can guarantee you, are you going to get someone to play every single Thursday night? No. But, hey, are you going to be able to get the guys and girls together? Hey, let's do every Thursday, third Thursday in my garage. You know what? We'll get some drinks, some food. Let's have some fun. Yeah, it shouldn't be a problem at all because it's that type of game. You know, I've helped out uh, John Russell at a couple events recently, too. And everyone that comes up, you know, grabs some, you know, the new deck. They grab some planes. And I'm like, oh, do you play? Like, oh, yeah, I've been playing forever. I was like, well, you know, we're running an event. Yeah, man, we play that every week or, you know, we play every other week. And, you know, just playing Mm -hmm. something different. It's just such a good game, an easy game to play a couple hours and then an evening mm-hmm. that it's like, oh, hey, well, I play that all the time, so let me just try here. So that's why, especially if you're trying to build up or put on a convention game, you got to put a spin on it. You know, you got to throw that hook out there so it's a little bit different than six fighters mm-hmm. on six fighters. That's why I've been trying to do like bombing runs or, you know, mm-hmm. protect these bombers, etc. So you got to put a little bit of narrative into it. Yeah. And that's why we always use John Russell's big one to scale. USS Hornet, because that <laughs> attracts everybody when they see a carrier that takes up half the table, you know, and yeah. does it mean we tweak the rules? Sure. You know, and we, and we change things because yeah. that way we can get 14 players on the table with everybody having two fighters or two torpedo bombers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes for a game people will not go play footlong ships with a pirate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they will, they're playing and they, a footlong go, ship on your yeah, table. Exactly. So, because they're playing something big and cool at our table. So they, they will, they will do that if you build that kind of event. But if, if right. you have just a mat, just some beautifully painted airplanes, I think a lot of blood red skies players are like, yeah, it's still going to feel like every game I play every other weekend with my buddies. Um, so you, you kind of have to, you have to have something to draw them in. Yeah. Well, I did that. You're actually jumping down a couple of my talking points because I find that Blood Red Skies is very similar, in my opinion, to Black Seas, which I think is the best looking Warlord game on a tabletop. You walk by that table with Black Seas, you see the the tall ships, you see the, you know, maneuvering around islands, you see the puff of um, cotton from the from the ships that have fired. You see that rigging. Oh, chef's kiss. It is. It looks absolutely beautiful. The same can absolutely be said about Blood Red Skies, where you have the planes going up and down and left and right and maneuvering, dogfighting, and you you put it on a good mat, or even if you put it on a very generalist mat, 
the planes themselves are gorgeous. And the fact that you have those stands that move and show you the positioning, it really does give the feel uh, the game a more dynamic feel than what you often get with miniatures that are just static and just sitting on a tabletop. Yes, they are static. Yes, they are sitting on a tabletop, but just that little bit of movement and the fact that you have them maneuvering around the table the way they do, it really does give the game a wonderful appearance for when people come by at an event or at a convention when they are looking and go, wow, look at that. You guys have also, conventions aside, um, I know that you've run events um, next to the World War II Museum in New Orleans, for example. That, of course, is not a convention. That is just having people to come play games. Besides those games where you're trying to get newer players and you throw out those hooks to grab people from conventions to come in, how how are you getting people excited about Blood Red Sky events outside of conventions? Because that is a very important part of growing a community and growing a game, but you also need to have those those more formal events as well. So the interesting thing when you do a non-convention event, that's an event. So it's not really a convention, but it's a gathering of people for a mm. game. You, We found you had to balance both everyone's desire to immediately jump in, play the game, maybe have grudge matches. You know, we always do something funny like that where you can call out a member of the podcast. You can call out, a, you know, another player who you've lost to in a couple tournaments, things like that. But we also realized that we needed to give people a heads up on what to bring. So if we knew we were going to host some narrative events, let people know early on what the theme of the narrative event is, because they may have a force already painted or they may want to paint a force for that. So right. when you do something fairly esoteric like Dutch East Indies, uh, you might want to warn people because then they yeah. can show up with airplanes that actually fit into it. But at the end of the day, you know, most of most of the people that come to the smaller non-convention events are already bringing enough airplanes for everybody. And that's kind of the nice thing about Blood Red Skies is if you want to host an event, it really is not a dramatic financial outlay to be able to buy and paint both sides for that event. Uh, unless yeah. you go crazy overboard and buy a bunch of bombers and a bunch of terrain. And, you know, it's, it's the standard event mission creep. You say, I just want to host this really cool scenario. Uh, and then you end up buying all kinds of terrain and extra mats and other things. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think the the biggest key we saw for events like Gathering of Eagles, things in, in, that we did in New Orleans, that we did in Indianapolis, was getting the word out early as to what, what narrative things were going on so people could plan for it. And I guess that actually brings up uh, another question, because I know people have been wondering, for those who have not played Blood Red Skies, uh, let's talk about the size of the force that you need. I mean, we talked about how you may not need to buy an entire box set now, given that now you can just buy the ops deck and you can get the airstrike book. Um, how many planes should or could people buy for just a regular expected size game? Now, in bolt action, we often talk about games being about a thousand points. Now, you can obviously paint smaller forces than that, or you could paint larger forces than that. What what does, and I, I do know that depending on the, the quality of the pilot and the quality of the plane, numbers vary dramatically, but what can people expect to paint if they would like to put a force on the table so they could play a game with a friend? 
So it's generally one box of airplanes, which is nice, which MSRP on Warlord's site, somewhere between 40 and $45, depending on which resin airplanes and how big they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's a reasonable outlay. And then, you know, once again, you, you could field larger forces, especially if they are lower pointed airplanes or you took mm-hmm. worse pilots. So I've, we've seen, uh, you know, eight, 10 airplanes on the table, but you easily could get away with buying a single box and having everything you need to show up to a game and play in a wide variety of scenarios. Now, the that is both the wonderful thing and the mission creep of Blood Red Skies, because then all of a sudden you say, oh, it's just one more box. I just I, I want a box of bombers, just one more box. And they go. Yeah. Well, those bombers were kind of early war bombers. I like a box of late war bombers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so while we while we tell people there's a low barrier to entry and you really only need one box of whatever kind of plane you want to fly, we also warn people and say, and don't think that's the last box of airplanes you're going to buy because it never is. <laughs> I mean, that's true for almost any game system. Having just bought another box of tanks for my favorite game, Bolt Action, so when we're talking about one box of planes, though, what are we talking about specifically? So people know, like, how many are we actually? So that's, yeah, six airplanes. If you if you yeah, use an example of our event, uh, last couple of events we've done, most of the people playing narrative were playing between two and four airplanes. And most mm-hmm. of the people playing competitive, their lists were topping out at five airplanes because they were taking highly skilled pilots. So you could fit into either kind of event showing up with one box of six painted and decaled airplanes. Uh, And, and the nice thing is most of the airplanes that you want to buy are ones that were used in multiple theaters. So, Mm -hmm. you know, buy yourself some one Oh nines. You can fly them in European theater. You can fly them in North Africa. You can fly them in Eastern front. Uh, So it's, there's, there's a lot of flexibility there. Casey, I know that you spend a lot of time hobbying and painting particularly planes in this scale. Do you have any tips and tricks for those people who would be starting out for jumping into Blood Red Skies? Obviously, you're not going to take, you know, whatever the British green was off a Spitfire off, you know, the actual paint and put it down because you have the scale effect in effect. So saying that when you're painting these one and 200 scale planes, definitely go with a brighter color because Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, it's a much smaller model that you're looking at than a full size so you're going to want it brighter and it's going to show up on the table better mm-hmm. and you know i'm real bad about it i paint underneath bright led lights and i'm like oh my god this is so bright but then when it's on the table i'm like oh like this is a drab so definitely don't be afraid to use brighter colors if you have a dark green hey you know what either highlight it up or use a lighter green um like i said there's plenty of resources out there for you to use uh it's easy enough to use um just acrylic paints you don't have to have an airbrush don't feel like oh why didn't an airbrush should be doing these planes no you don't i've seen that some absolutely amazing paint jobs just using a brush uh you know for some of these camo patterns something as easy as silly putty or blue tack use that for the camo patterns and really just you know what get it down there and before you start to judge it finish the plane you know what yeah. prime it get your paint down get a wash then put another little coat over it and you're going to be surprised how good it looks because i've seen a lot of people hey i started painting you know like the right wing and it just didn't look good no let get your finished product there wash it bring it back up uh varnish it gloss varnish put your decals mm. on and then seal it and you're gonna be like you know what and then put it on the table you're like hey this looks pretty dang good 
Right. So yeah, just the main thing is don't be afraid to go brighter on the planes because I've seen some people use like, hey, this was the green that the Japanese, you know, bombers used or whatever, or the fighter, you know, go a little bit brighter than you normally would and don't be afraid to highlight that up. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things, right? Because we paint under bright lights so we can see what we're doing, but then no event in the universe has lighting exactly. that is as good as under your lights. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad you brought up that middle stage, especially when you're getting to know a new scale. Uh, it's sometimes really intimidating to be halfway through. We all know the process of experienced wargamers of being halfway through a model and looking at it and saying, God, that looks awful. And it, it does look awful, but it's not done yet. And you put the time in, you finish it, and then it sings. It looks fantastic. Um, I've recently been painting up uh, a U.S. Marine Metal Army that Warlord of Warlord's Metals. And those models have so many wonderful little details as far as the pouches and the gear, the pistols, um, and the posing. Just those models were so much fun to paint. I loved them but I was halfway through batch painting 35 of them at once. And I hit that point and just looked at it and went, I've ruined these models. They're brilliant. And I've <laughs> ruined them. They're awful. And thankfully Casey is in the group of my friends who talked to me, you know, down a little bit from my hysteria. And we, you know, I said, just, just take a breath, finish the next stage, go on. And sure enough, I finished the pouches, came back at it and went, you know what? They actually don't look bad. Exactly. And then I added a few more details and then they look great. And you would think I know this because I've painted countless World War II models slash models beyond that. But particularly when you're jumping to a new scale, if you are new to Blood Red Skies, it is important to keep that in mind, particularly since those decals that come with the planes are so good and they really do just put that little frame on the painting, so to speak, to make it really pop. Well, I was going to add that we always talk about the three foot rule with these airplanes because right. they there is a lot of detail in the models and you can spend a lot of time picking it out and you're never going to see it. <laughs> and the, the right. thing is, convention lighting is kind of a lot like the bar. So <laughs> it's going to hide mm -hmm. a lot of flaws until you get it back <laughs> under the bright LEDs. And that's a good thing because then you shouldn't feel like you're showing up to play these games and you need super detailed, super perfect uh, you know, paint jobs. No, literally give it your best effort. Pick some colors that you think will look good. And don't be surprised, like Casey says, when you walk in and all of a sudden you're really nicely done airplane that looks good in the bright LED light. You're like, why does it look so mottled and so brown mm -hmm. and so dull? Well, you know, take a photo and then look at how terrible the, the lighting on your mat is. I mean, every yeah. every convention photo I take, I'm always having to tweak the color balance of because the lighting in the main hall is just horrible. You know, yeah. So. Look, I won't lie. I have thought about as a longtime TO of buying lamps and sticking them and putting them on tables at different points. Um, We've had to almost do that at some events because the lighting is yeah. so horrible that you just right? you can't even see what you're, the dice you're rolling. So, yeah, exactly. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on today. It has just been awesome to talk about Blood Red Skies and it sort of. Test, test the waters again to see where we're at as far as a game system and as a community. And it's wonderful to hear about all the wonderful expansions that have been happening uh, to this game, all the great releases. And it really does oh, get me excited about the future of the game and where we're going to go next. 
Uh, and it's, of course, always a pleasure to talk to fine gentlemen like you. Um, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Doug, always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Please come back again soon. Absolutely. Glad to be on. And thanks for letting us uh, talk about the community. Anytime. And Casey, you know I'm a fan. Love your work. And I will definitely be talking to you probably in five minutes because I talk to you all the time. <laughs> you too, man. Like I said, thank you for having us on. Really appreciate it. Anytime. And if you enjoyed the banter that these gentlemen bring and you like Blood Red Skies, well, then the Lead Pursuit podcast is a place that you need to go to check it out. Because, as you said, it is, it's a wonderful resource for people who are talking about and enthusiastic about this game. And don't forget to also check out The Ready Room, which is, of course, the Facebook group for this game. It's such a rich and vibrant community. You can see wonderful paint jobs on there. If you have questions or wonderings, um, you can ask, or you can just see the awesome hobby and the games that people are playing. And, man, I am – I have – joined so many facebook groups for warlords games that i i just like to scroll through and look at the pictures and see what people are talking about it really does get me excited and uh, really interested so if you're interested at all in blood red skies and you haven't checked out that facebook group the ready room is what you need to be checking out now if you've enjoyed this episode thank you for listening um, we hope that you will join us for future episodes of the Warlord Game Podcast. If you have any feedback, if you've liked what we've done today, um, or if you have requests for future shows, please go to Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E on Facebook. Uh, if you go to that page and message the page, it is the network that this podcast appears on. And I am the one who moderates it, so you are guaranteed a response by me. Hi, my name is Brad. I do, however, live in Australia, and I occasionally sleep, so it might take me a few hours to get back to you. Thank you to everyone who's reached out, and of course, this show is a request because people wanted to hear more Blood Red Skies on this podcast. Guys, thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you on the very next episode of the official Warlord Games podcast. Good night.